This is my playbook. My name is Simon Mundy, and in this podcast, created by Greenhouse Sports, we'll be hearing from a host of inspiring people about who and what influenced, supported, and encouraged them during challenging moments. We'll find out what they learnt along the way, as well as what they want to share and pass on. Greenhouse Sports is the charity that uses sport to help disadvantaged young people and communities. Their core belief is that every child deserves opportunities and a fair chance to get on in life. And through Greenhouse's coaches and partners, they look to make that a reality. The work they do is about encouraging young people through sports and teaching them the life skills they need. Greenhouse Sports has recently celebrated its 20th anniversary. And over the last 20 years, the charity has helped more than 50,000 young people in London. But there are a further 4 million people across the UK right now that they would like to help. And if you would like to find out more about their work and how you could help support another generation of young people, please head to greenhousesports.org to find out more. In the meantime, to this episode, in which I speak to the founder of Greenhouse Sports, Michael DiGiorgio, as well as David Sims, a former police officer who was looking for ways to tackle antisocial behaviour on his patch in South London back in 2002. Michael and David joined forces seeking to find innovative ways to give disadvantaged young people an opportunity to enjoy the benefits of sport, mentoring and personal responsibility. The results were incredible and they laid the foundations for the vitally important work that Greenhouse was able to put in place over the next two decades. The lad that spat on the floor to me when I first met him months before, he came up to me after a session, we were walking out the school. He said, this is the first time in my life I've had any responsibility and I love it. And I thought that's amazing. It's over 50,000 young people that have been through the Greenhouse programme now. But they still need help. They still need mentoring. I mean, mentoring never stops. We can all do with proper mentors, even now. It was a pleasure talking to Michael and David, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Mike, Dave, lovely to see you both. How are you? I'm very well, thank you very much, Simon. Yeah. And Mike? I'm very well, and nice to see you, and nice to see you, Dave. Why don't we start then with how you two first met? Mike, do you want to kick things off? It was, I think, August 2002 is when we first started the, uh, the programme, Dave. But uh, I think we met, obviously, a little bit before that to get this thing going. Yeah, I remember it very, very well. I, was a, um, I had 17 years uh, service in the Met Police and I was uh, the local community officer. I think I'd recently been assigned to that area. And I'd had a meeting with various people in the, in the area um, and one of the issues was the antisocial behaviour. So I'd arranged a meeting with the local youths and the local people. I wasn't sure how many people would turn up, but we had quite a lot. And the uh, overwhelming information I was getting is they are bored. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. And which area are we talking about, Dave? This is Barnes. There's a, a, an estate that was basically the, the problem area, if you like. And it's very near Hammersmith Bridge, directly opposite St Paul's School that has absolutely amazing facilities and fields. But of course, for the people on the estate, the youths on the estate, there was a big metal fence and they weren't allowed on there. When you had that meeting, Dave, were you pessimistic to some degree or optimistic? What were your feelings about your ability to be able to affect change? 
we'd already tried approaching um there was a small park area a little bit further away in a, an affluent area of barns where we were hoping to put a 4g pitch down only a small little one we got the funding but unfortunately the residents opposed it they didn't want the youths hanging around in that sort of area so everything i tried up until that point had been uh, rather negative Mike was fantastic. It was very, very upbeat, but I was still sort of thinking, is it just going to be another possible, but nothing really comes of it. Pessimistic, I suppose, is the answer to your question. <laughs> and you mentioned these fantastic St Paul's facilities and also that the people who were getting involved in antisocial behaviour were fundamentally bored. They were saying they were bored. Do you think there was as well a, a sense of perhaps resentment of being bored whilst so close to these facilities that they could see behind this fence. That's a fair point, yeah. And I think it was a combination of both, if I'm absolutely honest with you. You know, the fact they had nothing and just literally within yards of where they lived were these amazing facilities that were out of their reach, really. So, Mike, how did you find yourself there? I mean, it makes total sense that Dave would be dealing with antisocial issues in the area that he's looking to police, but... What led you there? Well, I had just, I had time on my hands. I had just sold my business and my son was at St. Paul's. There seemed to be so many little issues between the boys as they left school in the afternoon and the local community, just the usual silly things that go on. And we just thought that it was just, we should try to find a way of breaking some of the barriers. And um, the school were up for it. Dave was fabulous. And so far as he, he knew the community, was working with the community and wanted to engage with them, there were these facilities that were you know, top-class facilities that just seemed a pity not to try to have these facilities being used when the school weren't using them. The school were up for it. The school was upbeat in so far as they realised that um, they should be sharing some of these facilities, particularly at the time there's a big issue about um, charitable status, et cetera, in schools. And so they were open to this sort of change. And as a result, um, by, I suppose, brokering, um, the school were very keen to help. Dave was able to work with um, the local community. And we managed to persuade both sides to come and use these fabulous facilities. So the issues then, just to summarise were somewhat coming to a head between the youths from this estate and the kids who were essentially fortunate enough to have direct access to all these facilities because they went to St Paul's. So the issues that were bubbling away, they were butting heads, as it were, between these two groups to some degree? Um, I think that's probably fair, David. I mean, the young people there were not bad people by any means. They were just bored people. Yeah. And so if we, we felt that if we could give them some sort of activity, we could keep them busy and, and the antisocial behaviour that was going on would diminish. And uh, it did because basically, you know, we managed to do it via sport. There's no reason why you couldn't do it via art, drama, music or anything else. But we thought at the time that even though St. Paul's had the facilities to do all the other um, activities, sport was the one that would attract them most. Uh, and sport does have, you mentioned a few other things like music, art, etc. but sport does have not a unique, but almost a unique power 
to bring people together, to get them to burn off some energy, to to use as a springboard. Is, is that fair, Mike? Is that the way you see sport? I think so, but I think it's also fair to say that it's probably at the time more attractive to boys than girls. But the boys were probably causing most of the anti-social behaviour, Dave, weren't they, on, on the estate? Absolutely right, Mike. Yeah, and I think the other key thing for me on this was that the the youths that were causing the problems were also very keen football fans. They liked sport as a whole, but football was their key thing. But I still believe that getting those youths at that time involved in something like Mike organised has probably changed their lives. I think they want a particular path, but because of that, lots of things change for them. And Mike, can you remember the actual moment where you had that, the light bulb moment, as it were, where you thought, hang on a sec, okay, we've got the facilities, there's the power of sport, there are these kids who are bored, we bring them all together and we could create something. Can you remember actually having that brainwave? Well, I'm not sure it's a brainwave, but I think we had, we're lucky that, um, that we, as a, as a team, having Dave, Wendy, who was instrumental, I think she was very important at the time to get the group of young people together. And of course, the school who were, you know, able to let us have these facilities. Once all the pieces fitted in, we managed to then have the facilities, have two weeks, I think it was in August, yeah. uh, August 2002, and then go and find the coaches who we thought would be instrumental here, inspirational insofar as they would be able to engage with the young people that were there. So it all seemed to fit into place. And then in this two weeks in August 2002 then, what did you put in place? And also just tell me about some of the rules that you set out and how you reached out to the people from the estate and and pulled it all together. Yeah, in terms of that, I mean, Mike obviously advised us what we could and couldn't do there. Um, or once we knew what we had and we had the dates, we started reaching out to the youth and saying, look, this is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to work. My only concern was whether the youths would actually take it on board, because when I first got involved down there, the relationships between police and the youths, although they were, as Mike said, they weren't bad lads, it wasn't great. And uh, I remember that one of the first occasions that I dealt with perhaps one of the most notorious of the lads on the estate, he just spat on the floor and walked off. So I wasn't quite sure, even though we were offering them something, whether they would take it up. So you've reached out to them then, Dave, and... Mm -hmm. What were you expecting and what was the reality when it took place? I think what I was hoping was that um, we would get a great uptake into it. The youths would enjoy it and the crime rates would come down. That's basically what I was hoping. Whether I honestly thought that would happen is another matter. So, Mike, if you can uh, tell me what sort of reaction you were expecting, but also what were some of the ground rules you put in place ahead of these youths coming down to get involved? Well, I think it's fair to say that we did give them rules, but actually not so much we gave them rules. We asked them what we thought they should have as rules. And of course, they know as much as anybody else that you know they need to um, be well behaved, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and they gave us all the rules. And we told them every time something went wrong, we said, well, these are your rules. So can you make sure that you um, abide by them? We're lucky, I think, that we had good coaches because at the end of the day, it's the good coaches that make the good programs. And yeah. we had good, pro- and good coaches. Dave, I think you actually always used to come down and, and, and participate yourself, which I think 
help break down some barriers between you and the and the local young people. And looking back on it now, you know, it was a pretty inexperienced program compared to what Greenhouse has developed in and all the sophisticated programs that we run now. At the time, it wasn't so good. But there were rules. They did stick by them. And the times when they didn't stick by them, we made it quite clear that there was something wrong and they had to change. And I don't know if you remember, Dave, there was one very famous occasion when uh, we had Garth Crooks, who was the Tottenham <laughs> biker, coming down. And um, I think he came down and looked at this program, like the program, came down with his very fancy sunglasses, I remember. And um, before we knew it, they'd been taken. Fortunately, not for, he must have put them down somewhere and they were taken. And so we stopped the whole program, if you remember. And uh, we, we said that no one was going home until these glasses were returned. And um, miraculously, we found them. But, you know, we had a lot of issues like that that we had to deal with. But they, they, there was nothing serious. I think it was an occasion like when um, someone wouldn't get out of the swimming pool. We let them use the swimming pool for an occasion, on one particular day. And one of them just wouldn't get out. I think he was enjoying it so much. Yes. But it was quite difficult because obviously far short of diving in, there wasn't much we could do about it. But I think <laughs> I think Mike used his persuasion on that one and he came out. What you've just spoken about, Mike, in particular, is really the power of handing responsibility down to the kids, isn't it? And I remember one person I've interviewed, and he actually as well worked with the All Blacks rugby team, and he said, people rise to the challenge if it's their challenge. So rather than saying these are the rules, you're giving them some ownership and they're stepping up to the plate. That's absolutely right. Like all programmes, it was the first one. We, it went on to develop both on other occasions and other schools. Um, but at the time, I remember there was a sort of rather odd article written in the Times. I don't know if you remember, Dave. There's a, at the Times wrote an article about how the, the crime wars of Britain are being fought on the playing fields of St. Paul's or something dramatic like that. It, it was hyperbole as, as always. But I mean, at the end of the day, we were trying to break down these barriers. We were trying to keep them busy. We were trying to teach them new things. We were trying to give them fun. And it, it seemed to work. Just to go back to it, Dave, the first time we spoke about these first few weeks and the birth of the organisation, you, you really were blown away by the impact that it had, by the engagement that that chap who spat in front of you and walked away, the impact that it had amazed you, didn't it? It was quite frankly amazing what that achieved. What was important to add here is that after that two-week programme, Mike and I then arranged a football league. And what we did was, again, St Paul's allowed us the use of their hall. So we ran a weekly competition and we basically, well, I targeted... I don't know, probably five or six of what I consider the key youths in the area, the ones that are perhaps causing us the most trouble and the oldest. And we basically made them managers stroke captains. And it was up to them to arrange their uh, the, the team, pick the team, get them on time, play the game, give them some responsibility. And the lad that spat on the floor to me when I first met him months before was one of those youths. Um, and we did this every Sunday. The fixtures came out. And one of the rules we'd also included was that if any of your players came, got into trouble with the police or got arrested, then there would be consequences. And it's for you to decide what those consequences are. Anyway, this this went on. It proved very successful. And, and I think the real, um, and I say amazing, and I, I do use that word quite a lot, but it but it was amazing. That one youth 
all of them were very good. They all the relationship I started having them was great. Um, but this one youth, the one that didn't want any sort of uh, dealings with with authority or police, he came up to me after a session. We were walking out the school, and he said, uh, "Dave," he said, "This is the first time in my life I've had any responsibility or any any rules and discipline, and I love it." And I thought that's amazing. It was someone like that has taken this responsibility on. We've given it to him. And that's the outcome. Can you recall your feelings when he said that? <laughs> I, I, I was shocked, to be honest with you. He's not that he wasn't the sort of lad that would, would come and do that. I, I was amazed he came and spoke to me. That lad had been turned round from how he'd been three months beforehand that he would now come and speak to me. And months, years later, I would bump into a lot of those places because I stayed out on, on that borough for many years in a different role. But I would often bump into these lads who had now grown up. And I think every single one of them, bar one, had got a job and was leading a, what I'm saying, normal life, had steered cleared of, of trouble. And they would come up and speak fondly of the Football League, the Greenhouse Project, which I think made a huge impact on their lives. Well, it's life changing, clearly. It just mm. speaks to the power of opportunity. And it's so easy, I think, to judge people in situations. But actually, you know, that old saying there, but for the grace of God, go I, you know? Yeah. And that one particular lad, I won't use his name, but he'd come from a really difficult, he was on, he lived on the estate, domestic violence in the family, both the parents were alcoholics, as I remember, I think dad was frequently getting arrested, eventually moved out the address and mum just had no care about it. Amazing then that this project came along at just the right time and, and set them off on a new course. So... Mm. Okay, you've done these two weeks at St Paul's. You've had the Times article, which has supercharged the whole process, shall we say. And am I right in saying, Mike, that lots of other private schools were then nipping at your ankles saying, let us get involved? We had some a number of, uh, of schools who, who put their hands up and um, each of them gave us these fantastic facilities. Each of them allowed us to, to run these programmes, obviously, when the school was not open. So we could only do it on Sundays or, or holiday periods. Was it around this point or at which point did you realise that you needed to do a 180? In other words, stop bringing kids to these private schools with their fantastic facilities, but take the programme into their own communities. Yes, it was at the same time as that. Um, there's a, a man called Alan Sherwood who was um, starting a programme, a table tennis programme. And so we, we merged the two. Um, early on, and instead of getting people to come into the private schools, we actually went to where the young people went to school themselves, where the facilities were obviously not as good, but we had access to them all the time. So we started off with programs like table tennis, where we had, um, instead of doing part-time programs on the, in the holidays and on Sundays and weekends and everything else, we actually went in and put coaches full-time into these schools. And what I mean by full-time is literally 48 weeks a year, 40 hours a week, where one coach would go into one school, or at least one coach would go to one school and do and use the school's facilities. And we found that by doing that, we built up this relationship where the coach, who was, should we say, 51% mentor, 49% coach, built a a relationship with the young people of that school. We wanted the schools with the highest proportion of, I don't know, free school meals and other representation of, of disadvantage. 
we found those schools and then we tried to target the right people in those schools. And we did a number of programs from table tennis to basketball to all the other sports as we developed. How did you find your coaches? And also, how did you fund the coaches? We're very lucky, actually, that right from the start, the schools realised that we were going to do something good. The state schools that we were working in, they were realised that they had a good deal because they were being subsidised by us. They contributed something. We always asked the schools to contribute because we felt that if they didn't contribute, they wouldn't value it. So we always asked them to, to, to contribute. So they contribute something and we had to find the rest. What happened is that a number of corporates, a number of individuals, a number of, a number of, sort of trusts and foundations saw what we were doing and very kindly supported us. And as soon as they did that, we could expand and go into more and more schools. And were you surprised at the, at the speed at which you were able to grow and the extent to which you were able to grow? I think we were lucky that we were seen to be running a good organization in a professional way. And so we had lots of backers. And once we had more backers, we could do more programs. And once we had more programs, we could measure our impact and go back to other funders and say, this is what we're doing. Can you support us too? It was a sort of positive cycle, I suppose. Yeah, a virtuous circle, I think they call that, don't they? Yeah. And you said, Mike, an, an interesting line about how your coaches are, should we say, 51% mentor and 49% coach. And that's a bit different, for example, than, say, the relationship with a teacher and a coach because it's a change in the type of authority figure they were dealing with with you're looking then it sounds like for people that are intrinsically nurturing and supportive in a way that perhaps these young people are not getting in other areas of their lives um, and, and to be fair the school we worked with the school to target the right people at the school middle class children often have lots and lots of opportunities many of these children did not having the kind of coach who could go in and engage with them often required the coach to come from a similar background and many of our coaches did. But I think it's fair to say that the school themselves realised that the relationship with a coach, instead of being sir or, or ma'am or madam, whatever, it was, it was very much you know, coach Johnny or coach whatever. And I think that relationship meant that there was a, an, an element of trust that developed between the young person and the coach that was slightly different. I've spoken to several of the greenhouse coaches for this podcast series and without exception, they are hugely impressive people who've been through their own adversity and learned so much along that way. Two questions. First of all, how do you go about identifying the right people? Because the people I've spoken to clearly are that. And then how proud are you of the coaches that do go in and, and, consistently make such a big difference in the lives of young people well it's very important to find the right people and of course the important thing was that one or two at the beginning were good ones and they helped us choose other good ones you know the difficulty with with coaches is that people come in with technical abilities so they are level one level two level three you know all the different stages of, of coaching but that's great but if you can't engage with the young people that doesn't mean anything so at one stage, I'd say that we probably went to the other extreme and we started employing a lot of social workers, a lot of people who started, should we say, playing table tennis 
or whatever with the young people. But you know, within you know, a pretty short time, they were as good as the coach. So it doesn't work. And so the difficulty is, is to find the coach who can be technically good and engage. And to do that, you know, that's, that's not easy. Because not, we had many people who were always who were applying for jobs who were technically absolutely brilliant, but if you can't talk to the people, it doesn't really really work. And yeah. So it was very important. It's very hard to be a coach because you need to you go into a new school, or, and you really have to have the patience with the beginners. As they get better, you need to have the technical ability with the people as they get better. So you know, to use table tennis as an example. At one stage, I think we had about fifty percent of the of the England team in our with our young people because they were technically having lots and lots of good technical training and everything else. We also did something different, which is we changed the demographic of people playing things sports like table tennis. You know, there were very few black people playing table tennis. Very few young people. Um, of any ethnic origin playing. It was quite a white sport at, at one stage. We brought a lot of young people in from different communities, different demographics in, and that helped. It gave them an opportunity. And we also realized at a very early age, and the coaches realized very early age, that if you worked hard at whichever sport it was, then you, know, you would improve. And as you improved, you got better and better. You got more validation, more accreditation. Everybody said, well done. And they worked harder and harder. And before you knew it, we had people you know, on the table tennis side playing for England. On basketball, we had people um, before knowing, going on basketball scholarships to the States. And this was a complete change of life for these young people. And we realized that we also explained to them that most of them would not become professional sportsmen. But if you worked hard at your table tennis, it'd be the same as working hard at your maths or your English, or whatever subject it was. If you work hard, you'll do better. And I think that's something that we try to um, you know, mention all the time. Now, Mike, I know you were awarded an OBE in 2017, but I've also heard you say that you're more proud of seeing your coaches develop. Well, the coaches have developed. And, uh, and the co coaches have developed, and the people, the young people they work with um, have developed. But, I mean, the whole of Greenhouse has changed. You know, we've now, we now run, I think it's something like 70 programs every day. We're working in 70 schools, predominantly in London, but now we've started going outside London. And we've, we are working with these um, schools and the young people and really trying to find these special coaches, these special people who can make a difference to the young people. And the top of the pyramid at Greenhouse is the young person. And, but the young person can't do anything without a good coach. Yeah. And you know the the these coaches are really very very special. It's, it's really hard work doing yeah. being a coach. It's really hard to engage with them. And if yeah. you can find those right people, and I think we really have found many many of them, then you can make a real difference to these young people's lives. You mentioned obviously how greenhouse has grown. Where would you like it to go from here? And also, how difficult is it for a charity like Greenhouse during what are tough times for everybody right now well it's very difficult because at the end of the day you know sustainability is a big issue we don't have a, a tap full of money people just giving us money all the time we have to keep proving our impact proving that what we're doing makes sense it's very difficult 
ideally, we'd have a greenhouse coach in every school, every or certainly every disadvantaged school. But that's not easy because at the end of the day, you have to find a way of funding that. We have, we have been lucky that we have had so, a lot of people supporting us, a lot of people giving us money over the years. And um, as a result, we're being able to, to expand. But it's sustainability that's the issue. And I always say there are two things that you need to make sure that you keep doing. Um, one is, is to well, well, make sure you have the best possible program. But to do that, you need the money to do it. So you need money because if you run out of money, you're in trouble. And so whenever we raise money, we always make sure that we don't spend it all. We always, we always have some sort of money in reserve because it's very important to make sure that we don't let these people down. There's so many young people who are so used to being let down. Yeah. So what we've done is where we, you know, somebody gives us a hundred pounds, we tend to spend 80 and put 20 to, for the rainy day. And obviously there have been a lot of rainy days over the last few years. The other thing that's very important is to have the, the administration and professionalism in the organization. But obviously ultimately we're only as good as our programs. Yeah. You've spoken about, these young people who are used to being let down and how Greenhouse has demonstrated its power to be able to change the lives of so many people over so many years now. Reflecting back then on the last 20 years, Dave, yeah, how would you look back and the time you stepped into that first meeting in 2002, feeling pessimistic to see where it's got to now? What's your, what's your take on it? it it's very simple, absolutely incredible. To be honest, I, I never really thought it would get anywhere like this. I thought it might have a limited lifespan. You know, we, we'd start off, it'd be, Mike would be uh, there and then he would perhaps lose interest and, you know, we'd be stuck to where we were again. But just absolutely incredible. I actually can't believe it's still going and the extent it's doing. And uh, I've got nothing but admiration for Mike and, and the coaches and everything that the Greenhouse do. An absolutely incredible uh, achievement. And uh, it, it, you can't really measure... I don't think what what it's achieved, but I'm sure it's impacted on thousands of thousands of young persons' lives, and actually has changed their lives for the better. Those key young people that that were causing me lots of problems, not me, but the community. I wasn't convinced that anything we did would change anything. I wasn't convinced that they wouldn't end up, you know, doing more serious crime and ending up inside. Um, seeing how sport and the way we Mike and I got involved with it did change it uh, and, and yeah I guess I was surprised and, and it did change my outlook on, on a lot of things actually yeah and Mike has it changed your view at all in terms of how opportunity is afforded to different people in in society broadly well it's difficult for me because I come from such a privileged background and and uh, seeing um, this world which was a new world for me a world where people were um, given so few opportunities. I think Greenhouse helped to expand that for them. Um, personally, it, it allowed me to meet a load of people who I would never have met before. So it expanded my life and it really enhanced my life. So it's broadened your horizons too. Now, we've got some questions that I've been asking everyone about mentors and coaches and that kind of thing. And I want to ask them as well in terms of your own lives. And I'm going to start with you, Mike, because I know that you came to this country from Malta, didn't you? And you joined secondary school. 
which must have been that, that must have been a complicated transition. Did you have mentors who helped set you on your way that perhaps inspired you to want to pay it forward? Well, a, a couple of things really. First of all, when I did come to England, the fact that I was good at sport made me um, allowed me to be to make friends um, in terms of 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 mentors and 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 uh, you know I, I come from a family of of people, particularly my parents were very good at doing things for the community. So I we came from that background anyway. Um, as I said, I, I did come from a privileged background, but we, it was always the idea that you had to help other people. If you were both coaches yourselves, a mentor, and you are obviously to some degree, what one piece of advice would you have to young people or indeed other coaches that you would want to pass on i think you've got to be um you've got to understand that not everybody is as as lucky as you and has had the same upbringing as yourself and you've got to respect where they've come from and and just try and relate to them what does coaching mentoring mean to you mike i think it's something which i think we can never have enough of you know i mean in my particular case i was lucky at having good sports coaches but apart from sports coaches, you need people who are going to help you, put you in the, you know, point you in the right direction. I don't think I had enough um, pointing in the right direction when I was growing up. Um, I think my parents were very hands off. Um, I wish I'd had a greenhouse coach to help me. Not so much because of the coaching, but because of the mentoring. I think somebody who helps you hold your hand in so far as they, they sort of guide you and tell you, you know, maybe you need to do more of this and less of that. And there were so many times when I felt I was looking for that um, guidance. And, you know, so what you do, instead of doing that, you get the guidance from, uh, from your school friends, which is obviously not always the right way. But even leaving school, I, was, uh, I didn't really know what to do leaving school. And I was just lucky that there was one particular teacher at my school who helped me by directing me um, ultimately to university. That I wouldn't have, had, and if I didn't have that kind of mentor, I wouldn't have been able to carry on the path that I did. And if you hadn't had that mentor, greenhouse sports probably wouldn't have come into fruition. So the ripple effect of coaching and mentors can be really profound clearly and just finally then obviously we know that as we've touched on it it is tough times and I know you put some money away for rainy for rainy days but in terms of ensuring the sustainability in the future of greenhouse because just for anyone listening what message would you like to get across about what you're trying to do and and how anyone can contribute in any small way well I think the financially yeah, is very important to have the financial support because without the financial support we can't afford to employ the people we have we have lots of people who come in and 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 ask us to volunteer um if they can volunteer but it's not so easy i mean it's just much more difficult even in nowadays to be a volunteer because of all the regulations all the health and safety safeguarding um rules that exist that by the time we train somebody up to be a volunteer there's a lot of time and money that goes into it. Ultimately, we believe that if we had the right support, financial support, we can find the right coaches and, and the team as a whole to run the best possible programs. And when we run good programs, 
we can measure our impact. And by measuring our impact, we can go back and demonstrate the effect we've had. I mean, I think it's it's over 50,000 young people have been through the Greenhouse Programme now. So it's a lot of people, but they still need help. They still need mentoring. I mean, mentoring never stops. You know, yes. It's nothing to do with being a certain age. We can all do with proper mentors even now. Lovely. All I can do is commend you both for getting this up and running and, you know, the work Greenhouse does in changing lives of both the young people, but also the coaches as well, I've really seen that, is profound. So all I can do is tip my cat, tip my cap to both of you and say congratulations and it's made a huge difference and uh, it's been a pleasure speaking to you both. So David, Mike, thank you very much indeed for speaking. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Likewise, thank you, Simon. Thank you for listening to this episode of My Playbook with Greenhouse Sports founder Michael DiGiorgio and David Sims. As I mentioned at the start, Greenhouse have recently celebrated their 20th anniversary. Please do check out the incredible work they do by visiting greenhousesports.org. And if you'd like to get involved in help, please do get in touch. All the details are on their website. And please do share, rate and review this episode wherever you can. Thank you for listening. And until next time, goodbye.